Welcome to Willoughby Hills. I'm Heath Rosella. So glad you're here. This is going to be a good one today, folks. You are you are here on the right day. Ben Napier is my guest from HGTV's Hometown. It's the new season of Hometown Takeover, airing right now, where Aaron and Ben Napier travel to Fort Morgan, Colorado, and help make that town over, bring their magic out to Fort Morgan. And uh, yeah, we're going to have a great conversation today about Hometown, Hometown Takeover, and Laurel, Mississippi, where Ben and Aaron live. So here's the deal. I talked to Aaron and Ben back in episode 11 of this podcast. Great conversation. You should go back and listen to it if you haven't heard it yet. But uh, yeah, we stayed in touch after that conversation. Uh, Ben is a big fan of my homemade maple syrup operation, and I send him some syrup every year. He sent me some things from Laurel Mercantile in the past and ended up buying like some of their cutting boards. And uh, I've got uh, one or two of their flannels that are like my favorite winter shirt. They are so awesome. They're made in America. It's very good stuff. But uh, yeah, we've just we've we've traded messages and stuff over the years and have wanted to reconnect, obviously. And with this changeover from being quarantine creatives originally to now moving to Willoughby Hills, it felt like the time was right for another conversation And part of that is just the focus of the newsletter and the podcast has really shifted to something that has kind of been in the back of my head for a long time, but now I have a chance to to think about and express more. And that's this idea of just what it takes to build a strong community. What are the building blocks that it takes to make a a small town thrive, for example? You know, I've written about this in the newsletter, the, the town of Gravity, Iowa, that had like 900 people at its peak. At one time, they had a walkable main street, they had a grocery store and a general store and all these different things, and now that town has just completely evaporated off the map. They had a post office for a while, and, and even that's gone. And then there are places that are doing it really well. My, my hometown of Willoughby, Ohio, which is what this podcast is named after, Willoughby has a thriving downtown. I mean, I remember as a kid walking down there with my mom and you know going to the library and going to get a chocolate bar and things like that. Later as a teenager going there and, you know, hanging out in the coffee shop and things like that. And then as an adult, when I go back and visit, there's a bunch of great restaurants down there. There's a cool antique shop, lots of things kind of for every stage of your life, which is what makes a small town thrive. But of course, Willoughby and Laurel and all these places were not unique, as, as I was saying with Gravity, Iowa, like there used to be thousands of these towns all across America. And for a number of reasons... They ended up going away, some of that being local economies changing, factories moving overseas, things like that, some of it being a change in how we farm, and and our agricultural model has completely shifted from small family farms to these giant agribusinesses, the rise of big box stores like Walmart that kind of came to the edge of town and and put the the main streets out of business, a lot of different factors that, that went into changing the dynamics of small town America. But Laurel is a success story, and what you might not know is just how much Aaron and Ben have played a part in the revival of Laurel, Mississippi. They put out a book a few years ago that I finally had a chance to read. It's called Make Something Good Today. It's their memoir, and uh, it talks about just the love of Laurel and sort of all the different ways that that love manifested itself over the years. At one point, Ben ran for city council. He didn't win. But he put his heart and soul into that election and really wanted to uh, to make a difference kind of on the government side. 
And he talks about in the book that he was hoping that maybe that city council seat would set him up to be the mayor someday and, you know, really have a big impact on Laurel. None of that ended up happening. They ended up getting the show on HGTV instead. And as part of that, opened a business in town, Laurel Mercantile. After that, they opened Scotsman General Store. Now they have a third store, which I didn't even realize when I talked to Ben. So three stores within downtown Laurel that Ben, Aaron, and their business partners own and operate. And they've been a big part of kind of the revival of that particular small town. But then there's also the show Hometown Takeover, where this is the second season that they've done it. The first season, they went to Wetumpka, Alabama, made over the town. They did you know, several houses, several businesses, added some murals, things like that, placemaking, just to make it a really welcoming, fun place. Now they're bringing their magic to Fort Morgan, Colorado. Those shows are airing on HGTV right now. Go check those out. And so they have this recipe. They have this formula that they know works in Laurel. They brought it to two other small towns. That's kind of what I wanted the conversation to be about today. How do we take the people that live in these other small towns across the country, how do we take the lessons from Laurel and bring them to our own communities? What does it take? What does that look like? I should say Aaron was scheduled to be a part of it. You'll hear Ben mention it at the beginning here, but uh, their girls, their daughters ended up being sick and Aaron was watching them. So it's just Ben in this conversation, but he and I, we could have talked all day, honestly. I mean, this ended up going a lot longer than I think either of us expected. It's a longer episode, but I hope you'll take some things away from it. I should also mention that Aaron has a new book coming out this fall. It's called Heirloom Rooms, Soulful Stories of Home. It's a book that uh, celebrates the homes we live in and the homes we love. So check that out when it comes out. I got to tell you, their first book, Make Something Good Today, was really a great read. I know I really enjoyed it, so I hope you look at that. And if you like this content, if you're new here, get on the mailing list, sign up for the newsletter. It's heathrasella.com slash newsletter. Again, heathrasella, just my name, H-E-A-T-H-R-A-C-E-L-A dot com slash newsletter. I publish newsletters twice a week that are sometimes in this vein. I, I talk a lot about nostalgia and, and small towns, big cities. What are the components that make that all work? I talk about life work, happiness, and uh, consumerism and food. And it's all sorts of stuff. It's a fun grab bag. But if you sign up for the Willoughby Hills newsletter, you will get those delivered to your inbox twice a week, as well as get alerted to new podcast episodes. And if you're interested, I do also offer a paid membership. Paid members get early access to every podcast episode, as well as some bonus posts. I do video posts for uh, members as well. So go to heathrasalad.com slash newsletter. Get a free account, get a uh, paid account, whatever you, whatever works for you. I appreciate your support. All right, here it is, my conversation with the one and only Ben Napier. So, Ben, I want to start by just asking you about kind of the last three years. It was three years ago, you and Aaron were on the podcast, and uh, it was right at the beginning of COVID. God, that's been three years? Three years. It's kind of crazy, yeah. And uh, Helen was a baby at the time. You didn't have your second daughter yet. We're now at a place where Hometown is in season seven. You get season two of Hometown Takeover. Aaron wrote a new book that's out this fall. Like, you guys just seem super, super busy, but also like 
I feel like you make space and time for family. And I'm curious just sort of how you make that dance work. Okay, so first off, thanks for having us on. Erin should be here, but, you know, now we have two kids and they're both sick right now. Of course. She's at home. It's funny because when you emailed about the podcast, our assistant, which now we have like, you know, a legit assistant and we have a manager. And I don't think we had all that three years ago, but they were like, Heath, Rosella emailed about this podcast. Do y'all want to do it? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, that's the one we did last year. And <laughs> so, yeah, COVID time and being parents uh, makes time get all crazy. But uh, I don't know. The way that we do it is when we were pregnant. We had a conversation with our producers, which RTR is an amazing company to work with. It's mostly females at the company and like all of the upper management and the owner, they're all female and 90% of them are also mothers. And so when we got pregnant, you know, they knew the drill and they knew what to expect. And we told them that, you know, hey, we are going to be laying down some pretty strict boundaries that we're going to adhere to. Uh, cause you know, we don't, we didn't know how to do this sure. and Laurel's different from, this is something that, you know, our, our quote unquote team has had to adjust to because they're not all here in Laurel. Some of them are in LA, some of them are in Toronto, some of them are in New York, some of them are in Nashville. In those areas, it's very easy to find whatever you need. Nanny, no problem. Sure. Uh, tutors, great. Well, here it's different. And we have an Annie that we probably trust her with our daughters more than we trust ourselves with them. <laughs> so we, you know, we tell them like, hey, you know, this is how it's going to have to be because she has a family. She has to drop her little boy off at school before she can come relieve us and we can come to work. Yep. So, you know, a 7 a.m. call time is just not going to work. We can't be there then. And also, at five o'clock, she needs to be at home with her family. She, you know, her daughters are older and it's not as important, you know, they're teenagers, but still she needs to be there to, you know, be the mama at home. And so I think it's us and Clint Eastwood are the only ones that have a, you know, hey, we're only going to work eight to five right. schedule. The hidden value of this is that our crew only works eight to five Sure. in this industry, which you know, uh, it's very typical to work 12 hour days, five days a week. And so, you know, that's a, I don't know if it's a hidden benefit, but it's a a benefit of getting to work on our show is that, you know, you're not going to be working crazy hours. That was pretty much it up front was, you know, Hey, we don't know. The only way we know how to parent is the way our parents parented us. And, um, we're going to have to, do some some form of that and if we travel you know if we can do it in two nights great if it's going to be three nights or more then we have to bring our daughters with us and we have to bring either a nanny or a grandmother yeah you have to pay for that what we have learned is that boundaries are good setting rules and boundaries are good because it, it gives everybody else parameters to work within and as long as you're up front about them there is no, you know, oh, they're being divas or, oh, oh they're being needy. Because it's not like we're saying, hey, you're going to pay us this much. And then coming back and saying, wait, no, we want more. We want something right, different. Right. It's upfront, hey, this is what we need in order to do this job for you. And if you come through on your end, then we'll deliver on our end. Yeah. 
I guess what I'm wondering though too is like that's that's kind of the TV piece of it, but there are all these other pieces that like I just I constantly see like Aaron has a new wallpaper line out you know a few weeks ago and like you know you and I want to talk about this like the Scotsman um, uh, butcher block factory and so like there's just always other stuff too beyond the TV yeah. show like how do you how do you decide what you're going to take on so we. We do say, you know, we do have a lot of pieces of this that are going on, but we also, we say no to so many things. Sure. As far as like endorsements deals or licensing deals go, we look at who does this benefit? Yeah. There are some times where it's just a no-brainer and we're like, sure, absolutely, this is great. Most things, we look at it as, okay, sure, we're going to get paid no matter what on this. But then from there, who is benefiting from it? Is it just going to go to a few suits yep. in an office in, you know, wherever? Or is there a, you know, an American manufacturing side of it that's going to benefit? Or does it help people in our community, you know, and so on and so forth. And so that's, that's the way we sort of um, distill it down. But then, they're just, you know, I mean, we have our passion projects, but even still within that, as we have grown our, you know, quote unquote footprint of the things that Aaron and Ben are involved in, our producers have worked with us to make sure that there is time. So we have like Laura Jones, who you probably emailed with. Yep, sure. Laura started out as an intern with our company, you know, years ago, and then she stepped into an assistant role with us. And now, we don't really know what to call her because <laughs> she is basically, I mean, she's as talented as Aaron is. She's just not as experienced, yeah. but wow. she is extremely organized, extremely hardworking. And so, you know, she's a part of our team. We have Ronnie who's running our factory who has made incredible hires and, you know, in training at the butcher block factory, we have our business partners who are keeping their eyes on, you know, like Aaron and I are the, we're, the face of it and the, the, you know, quote unquote mascots. And then we have like Josh and Emily now who are sort of the logistics and the HR side of it. And then we have Jim and Mallory who are sort of the financial and the purchasing side of it. And, you know, they're keeping their eyes. So everybody is keeping their eye on something um, within the company and it, and it really relieves a lot of pressure on Aaron and I so that sure. then we can focus on the things that we're good at. So it's, you know what I mean? It's, it's a dance. There is a producer on the show whose part-time job it is part or not part-time, but part of her duties is to keep an eye on our schedule. Like you said, there's always stuff. There is, you know, the PR team at HGTV wants us to come to LA and do press. You know, we're working on five houses. So how does that fit into the schedule? And we want to take the girls with us to LA and uh, show them California. They've never been. And so we, we're going to have to carve out some more time. So that's got to fit into the schedule. And when we get back, we have, uh, you know, a meeting with Southern Living Magazine to talk about a project. Or we're launching something new at the factory and Ben needs to be there to, you know, film something. With that, the short answer is there is an army of people helping us with this. Yeah. In the beginning, Aaron and I did everything. Sure. You know, it yeah, was yeah. 100% on us. 
I don't even know how to like what all we had our hands in as far as our company goes. Cause it was just, I mean, it was just everything, yeah. everything that it takes to run a company. We were doing it. And then we brought on business partners and that, you know, that helped us a little bit, but we were still very hands on at every detail of the process. And now, you know, thankfully, um, you know, by the grace of God, we found this team that we've built around our brand that they get it, they're invested, and it allows the, the company to grow and also stay focused on our priorities, like sure. family and American manufacturing, and small towns. That was a long-winded answer to <laughs> no, it's what it's like great being answer, parents though. and having, you know, everything going on, but... Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a thing that people struggle with, though, especially in our industry of just, you know, not wanting to say no to things or figuring out the right way to say no. Or as you say, kind of having that team around you that, that shares the same value system as you do and, and can kind of, you know, make some of those calls for you of just, I, I know this isn't going to be the right fit or the schedule's not going to work or, you know, whatever it is. Like, and it takes time to build that. Yeah. We had a, uh, I got, we have a guy that works for us and he had gotten a job offer that honestly being totally honest would not have been as lucrative for him long term. Yeah. Okay. But right now in this moment, he was going to be getting a raise and we told him, we said, look, you're right. That is an awesome opportunity that we can't meet right now. But our goal is to be able to eventually pay you even more than they'll ever be able to pay you. But, you know, that's not guaranteed. You're sure. sort of taking a bet on us right now. Um, but then we were also really quick to say, but if you don't want to be here, we don't want you here. Right. If you're not going to be happy, please, by all means, there will be no hard feelings. Move on. You know, I've had I've had guys in my wood shop that were extremely talented. And, you know, just on that level, like on a very small level, and, you know, they weren't happy. They were wanting to move on. And it, you know, sometimes it's money. They want more money. Yep. Sometimes it's, you know, they, it's just not what they want to do. They just don't want to, you know, do this. And those are the ones, the ones that want more money, those are the ones that are easiest to say, you know, I'm, I'm sorry. I hope that you can find what it is you're looking for. But it, then it's the ones that just, no matter what you do, they're never going to want to work in a wood shop. All day, every day. Right. Which is different because, like, I mean, you've worked with guys on this old house who, like, they are doing TV so that they can do woodworking. Right. Exactly. Uh, which is, you know, that's where I'm at. If if uh, people have asked me before, like, you know, if TV were to end tomorrow, what would you be doing? Well, hopefully I would be in my wood shop figuring out how to make a living and provide for my family because I can't think of anything else I would want to do. So yeah. it's... uh. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing is like making sure that you have a good team around you, even with our with our daughters. Like when we go uh, shooting hometown takeover, part of the gig there is we have to bring our nanny and our one of their grandparents with us. It's yeah. just the way it has to go. And, and everyone at HGTV knows that. Yeah, no, and that's it's good that you can kind of advocate for that and, and protect that. Um, I wanted to ask you about Hometown Takeover, actually, and, and part of, I guess, let me back up and just say, like, some of the context for this conversation, the reason I wanted to talk to you again was I've been focused a lot more kind of in, in the podcast and I've been writing a newsletter for the last, you know, year and a half or so 
with and making can, maple syrup and making maple syrup, of course, and, and sending you a bunch of it. But um, yeah. a, a big focus of uh, of the newsletter has been kind of examining, you know, just the way we live, I guess. And small towns is a big piece of that. Cities is a piece of that. And uh, you guys, you and Aaron have such an interesting perspective on this just because I think you've built something really special in Laurel. And now Hometown Takeover has kind of given you the opportunity twice to to bring that magic to first to Wetumpka, Alabama, and now to Fort Morgan, Colorado. So like with the with the experience of those three things, Laurel, Fort Morgan, and, and Wetumpka, like what are your thoughts on just what makes a good small town, especially like in the context of 2023? It is the people. And I think that in the last, you know, a few decades, the advancement of the internet and social media, I think has been an incredible tool. Yeah. I think, you know, we have developed something that, you know, will go down and, you know, one day in ancient history, they'll look back at this time and, you know, it'll be like, you know, the industrial revolution or something, you know, it'll be something this time will be studied in history books one day. Yeah. But, I feel like in that we also lost something. Mm. Aaron and I were talking about recently, like we were in New York and this is something we've never noticed before. And we don't know if it's, we noticed it because we have kids now, or if we noticed it because we're older or did we notice it because we've been to New York so many times at this point that, um, you know, we're, we're not as enamored with some of the stuff as we used to be, or it's because of what the last three years have looked like with COVID or is it different than it used to be? But everyone has headphones in or AirPods in and they're walking and they're looking down and there there is no connection. Yeah. We're we are the most connected we've ever been in human history, and yet it also feels like we're the least connected at the same time. Mm. So to me that is what makes small town America great is a friend, a producer who, you know, worked with us early on said that she's born and raised in New York, love New York. And she said, you know, in New York, we have all these crazy kooky individuals and we just avoid them and we don't speak to them in small towns. You, you know, make them the, they're the king of the parade and you, <laughs> you parade, you know, you show them off and you, you brag on them to people about, you know, Hey, this guy's a phenomenal um, art forger and he's also a schizophrenic and um, he's also a great neighbor. Like, you know, that's the way it is in a small town because we're all so connected because you, you have to be, yeah, you lose some privacy in that. And that's the, that used to always be the big thing was, you know, Oh, in a small town, everybody knows your business and all that. Well, I mean, if you're doing something you don't want, people to know about then that's a problem right but you know at the same time it's nice to have people know your business because they're looking out for you they're not wanting to see you fail they're wanting to see you succeed because they see a little bit of themselves in that and that's the thing that we've seen in these towns fort morgan was totally different from what and laurel in that it feels almost like an early beginning of America because there's so many jobs and so much opportunity in this town that people are coming from all over the world to live and work there. You know, some people look at that as like, Oh, why are all these, 
you know, why are all these quote unquote foreigners coming to this little town in the middle of nowhere where all of our food is being processed? Yeah. Well, another way of looking at it is, isn't it great that all of these people from all over the world have this opportunity to pursue the American dream? Right. Why have we become so jaded to the American dream? It's, you know, forever it was the thing that we talked about. And now, you know, it's if someone else is coming in, they're trying to steal it. It was a different town, but still at the same time, even within the community of Fort Morgan, you had people who were trying to be community leaders for these people who were coming from other countries, from the you know the Congo and you know places that I've never met anybody from. And yeah. there's entire neighborhoods there that are people from that area. And uh, so it was that was a, a unique experience there that was totally different from Laurel and for and uh, Wetumpka. Um, but you still had like high school football team was a state championship team. And those people are so proud of those teenagers. And they're so excited to be able to say that, you know, our high school won the state championship in football Sure. and they're celebrating that. And they're, they're excited. And, you know, it's people who have no, no connection to the high school at all, except for that they live near it. You know, they don't have kids there. They don't have grandkids there. In some cases they didn't go there. But they're still excited to say, you know, yeah, isn't that cool that our high school won a state championship? Yeah. And I wonder how much of that you have in big metropolitan areas where you've got, you know, I don't know how many high schools there are in, say, Boston or New York or Chicago. It's hard to feel unified when you don't have, when the only thing that unifies you is your geography. Right. But I want to flip that for a second, too, I guess. And like you talk about the Fort Morgan pride and things, but like at least from what I saw, what I've seen so far in Hometown Takeover, like there is kind of this and you and Aaron talk about it in the book of kind of Laurel 20 years ago was like the main street was kind of forgotten, it seems, and, you know, half vacant and just the the stores that are there aren't sure if they're going to survive like what does it take to sort of, I guess, to do kind of what you guys did with like Laura Mercantile and, you know, just bringing some life back to Main Street, bringing kind of centering that pride, I guess, on where it was 50, 60 years ago instead of, you know, out at the around the interstates and, you know, big Walmarts and things like that. Like, how do you how do you kind of bring people's attention back to a downtown and, and restore the pride in it? This is something that we've tried to show in Wetumpka and in Fort Morgan that this is not a science. It's more of an art. Like you're kind of, you know, seeing what works in each area. There are things that, you know, you can modify and they will work in every town. Yeah. Like the murals. Sure. You paint a, the side of a dilapidated building with something that's encouraging or exciting, then people get excited about it. They're like, oh, you know, what's going on? And, you can adapt that and fit it to, you know, any town. It's a photo opportunity also, which then turns into a marketing tool based on this, you know, social media world that we live in. But it takes stubborn people. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, Erin is, you know, she would not mind me saying this. She comes from a very hard headed, stubborn family. (laughs) Okay. And Erin is, a very hard-headed, stubborn woman. And she's always been that way. Uh, Aaron Aaron and I, neither one of us have ever drank. I didn't drink because my dad told me not to drink yeah. alcohol. And so it was like, you know, oh, okay, yes, sir. 
And, you know, I'm a good uh, Methodist preacher's son who, you know, wants to be his daddy when he grows up. And so, <laughs> you know, this is what, you know, oh, daddy said not to do this, so I'm not going to. Right. But then within Aaron's world, she never drank because she didn't like the way it tastes. She tried it one time, didn't like the way it tastes. She's not going to do it. She didn't care. No matter how hard you try to sell her on how great this wine is or how great this bourbon is or how smooth this whatever is, she's going to tell you, no, I'm not doing that. It, you know, smells and tastes like medicine or like gasoline. I don't want it because she's so stubborn. And so when she finished college and, you know, when we moved back here, it was people, you know, frowned on the fact that because Aaron was, you know, extremely talented, extremely sought after, after, you know, once she got her fine arts degree and, you know, she could have gone anywhere and worked. And she didn't want to. She had a job offer here in Laurel. She wanted to move back to her hometown to be close to her parents. And people frowned upon that. You know, like, oh, you're going back to Laurel? You know, how are you going to have an argument? You know, you, you've worked so hard up to this point. Right. So it was, you know, okay, well, you'll see. I'm going to have a great career there, and it's going to be a cool town, and we're going to have fun. One day, you'll see. You'll be jealous. And she's done it, you know, and... For me, it was that I grew up as a Methodist preacher's kid moving to different towns. Yeah. So I'd never, like about the time that I would fall in, you know, that I'd finally like feel like, okay, this is my town. Well, it was time to move again. Mm. So, you know, I never quite got to put down roots. And our family is from Collins, Mississippi, which is 30 minutes from Laurel. Oh, wow. And okay. it's where my parents both grew up. And, you know, to hear them talk about it and to go back and visit it, it is the closest thing to a hometown that I had before meeting Aaron. Yeah. You know, it was just this nostalgic, like, I lived there when I was first born, but I don't remember anything about living there, but I went there, you know, that's where I went every Christmas, that's where I went every Thanksgiving, every Easter, every summer i would go and spend time there uh and now if i'm driving if i'm going to jackson or to prentice mississippi or wherever and i'm going to be going by collins i'm going to stop there and eat lunch yeah because it's you know i have this this yearning for this place that i didn't get to grow up in Mm. and that was the thing for me with laurel was i didn't get to grow up in a great small town i got to grow up in several great small towns yeah but at the same time, I saw things in those towns that weren't working. And so the the answer to the question is you got to have people. You've got to have stubborn, hard-headed people who won't give up. Now, you can't just go out and you have to be smart about it. And that's the thing that, you know, us here, along with our friends, we've been very strategic about what we did. And we're trying to implement some of that in these towns and we're trying to teach those towns there is just as much that goes on behind the scenes of hometown takeover sure as there is on camera you know of talking to people connecting them with other people saying hey you need to talk to this person in this town because they had something like this Mm. there is no easy answer to you know how do you do what what we did in laurel in your town piece of the puzzle that you need no matter where you're at is the people. Mm. So that's the, that's the answer.
Yeah. I, I mean, I guess I, I want to dig into that a little more and just talk about like the store and lower. Well, I guess you have two stores now, right? You have, you have the mercantile and then and the well, we store. actually now. So now we have uh, Laurel Mercantile. And then we have the general store, yep. which is connected to my wood shop. Yep. And now we've opened um, the Laurel Mercantile Scent Library. And even th- with those, we were very strategic about, um, okay, this side of town is, is looking really good. It's really healthy. It's going well. Why don't we open our store on the other side of downtown? Mm. Because nothing's going on there. The evolution of the mercantile it started out, it was Aaron's stationary company. Yeah. And uh, in the fourth quarter, business would just trickle and die off because, you know, around the holidays, people aren't really getting married. They're getting right. engaged. And so they're not buying wedding invitations. And, you know, nobody wants to get married in January or February or March. The wedding stationary company slows down at the end of the year because, you know, you your people aren't buying invitations to mail out in November and December. So we had this like two month window there where business would slow down, which was great because, you know, you're in the holiday season, but it was bad because, you know, your money's not coming in. And so we started diversifying, you know, what we offered. And, you know, we started offering some little gift items that you could buy. And then uh, I started building things in my wood shop that we could sell on there. And we started, you know, collecting goods that we thought would be a good fit for us. Well, and then HGTV came calling and we figured out really quickly that, hey, we can't run a store by ourselves and make a TV show about renovating houses. It's impossible. Yeah. So we sat down with our best friends, two couples, the Niles and the Raspberries, and we said, hey, we don't know what to do. We feel like we need to close this. But if this show becomes a thing, wouldn't it be great to have a brick and mortar store here that people could come and visit because then it draws people into our town and then that supports our local economy. Yeah, sure. Um, and so in that way, we are importing customers to our, our small town here in Laurel. And, and it worked, you know, there was, it was a, a big gamble, not necessarily a gamble for Aaron and I because we had already built this brand and this business. Um, but it was a gamble for our friends because they bought into the company. They invested each each couple invested forty grand at wow. the time. And Aaron and I, our investment was we already had the store and the website and the you know products that we were making. And so that was our our commitment. That was it. We said, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to try. You know, and the only thing that uh, that we said was if it ever reaches a point where we feel like this is infringing on our friendship, then we're going to walk away from it. And we've yeah. never gotten there. We all work really well together. We stay in our lanes and it goes great. But even that was okay. The bakery, the butcher shop, this restaurant, they're all on this side of town and they're really successful. And then there's an antique store around the corner that's going well. And there's a coffee shop over here. So if we go over here where there's nothing and we open our store in this old building, one it makes one part of town a little bit, you know, prettier than it was. So visually, there's this visual health going on. Yeah. But then also, what it does is it forces foot traffic. So people may come to our town, you know, come to our store, but if they want to go to the bakery or they want to go to the butcher shop or they want, you know, 
because at the time our store was very small yeah. and we didn't offer a lot. And so if you want to spend a little bit of time and you want to go get a bite to eat, well, you're going to have to walk across our downtown. And along the way, there's a, you know, now we have a men's clothing store that is opened and there's a children's clothing store over here and there's a stationary shop. So it's, none of this was here at the time, but now you've got things to do. And part of it is, you know, it, Hey, you know, I have this building and people are walking by it every day. Do you want to, you know, I'll, I'll give you cheap rent if you'll open a store here. Yeah. And so it was, it took a lot of vision and a lot of work to get there, but it worked. And so now what we've done is when we opened the general store, it was also, it was in the worst building in town. It used to be a nightclub. It was club Lexus. It didn't have yeah. any windows in it. We put the general store there. And what it forced was, you know, people would say, Hey, we heard that you have another store. Where is it? And we'd say, okay, if you walk out of our store and walk and turn right and just walk about two blocks, you'll see the general store. It's right there. And what that did was, you know, they're walking by these business, the oldest business in town was a half a block away from us, or it was in the middle of the next block. And it's just a furniture store. It's live furniture, been there forever. And it's been featured on the show a few times. And so people would walk along and they, you know, it's your typical small town, old furniture store. Yeah, It's got great windows out front. There's rocking chairs. You can stop and sit down and you can come inside. And they were so excited to have new people coming in. And, uh, and so now every building on our street at the time, when we opened ours, lot furniture was the only thing open on the entire street. Wow. And now every building has a storefront in it and, and it's a healthy one. You know, we were strategic about that. And the same thing with the scent library, you know, you have to get out and walk to do it. And so, yeah, that's the thing is being smart with, okay, finding those people who are stubborn and a work, but then being smart about it. Like, you know, maybe, you know, your town doesn't need another disposable clothing store because there's already four, you know, boutiques right. that have women's clothing that you all go, they all go to the same market and buy similar things. Maybe open something different. Maybe your town, like now we have a candy store in downtown Laurel. And if you had told me when we first moved here that we would have a candy store in downtown, yeah, I would said, you're, you're crazy. Like that will <laughs> never work. And it, but it's working. Is there like when you're thinking about that mix though of stores and just sort of, you know, everyone's placed within it, I guess, like there is still the reality of kind of big box stores, you know, that's Walmart's targets, whatever, like, and I'm sure you guys, you must have those like at the edge of town or something, I would think, right? Yeah, we have a, a Walmart and a Lowe's. Yeah. How do you convince people that like buying your clothes probably for more money from a, from a local merchant on main street is, is worthwhile when they can get quote unquote, the same thing for half the price, a quarter of the price. If they go to the, the big box stores. Again, I think it's the people. Yeah. Aaron's stationary company. It was a custom letterpress stationary company. Yeah. And because we lived in Laurel, Mississippi, our prices were cheaper than most mm. because we were making a really really good living on it. Yeah. You know, it bought our house and here in Laurel, but you know, we bought a, at the time we bought a 2,500 square foot house with a big lot and a garage for $145,000. Wow. You could not scratch the surface of anything 
of this level in New York City, which was where most of the stationery companies were that she competed with. Sure. And you're walking distance to, to downtown, right? And like the old neighborhood, like yeah, it's, I mean, it's a it's, nice, it's, it's not just the house itself, yes. but it's everything that's around it is, is nice. Exactly. It's, it's the most, you know, one of the most beautiful neighborhoods in Mississippi. And, you know, we have a great art museum in our neighborhood. We have, yeah. you know, our church is in our neighborhood. There is a school in our, a great school, elementary school in our neighborhood, you know, a, a great private school in our neighborhood. And also, um, one of, you know, like the top 10 public elementary school in the state in wow. our neighborhood. Our office was a few more blocks away, but totally walkable. And even in August in Mississippi, it's walkable. So it's, <laughs> it, uh, it afforded us the ability to be competitive with the bigger stationary companies because our price. And then, you know, people would call and they'd get me on the phone or Aaron and they were just, you know, We'd be working with someone from upstate New York, and they just thought our our accent was so sweet and so <laughs> quaint and how great. And it was so it was this thing that with it, and that's the only thing that I can think that allows our stores in downtown to be able to compete with the WalMarts uh, on the edge of town is that the people. Yeah. If you ask anyone in Laurel. You say like, hey, I need to get a suit for prom this year or a tux for prom or I need to get a suit. Where do I need to go? They're going to say uh, Guild and Gentry in downtown yeah, because, you know, they grew up with Caroline's mom or they play golf with Caroline's husband, you know, whatever it is. Again, there again, it's the people that you that you connect with. And it's the same thing like when I'm in New York, my favorite place to eat is Il Can Nori. It's in Greenwich Village, and it's this Italian place that, you know, it, it. I don't know if it's the best Italian in New York or not, but we went in there one time, and we stayed, we, we ate lunch, and then we stayed, and they brought us out bread and stuff, and we just, we were hanging, we had a little bit of time to kill. We ended up staying until like 3 o'clock, and we <laughs> wow. asked them up, you know, we're like, hey, can we just sit here? And they're like, yeah, that's great, that's fine, you know, we're going to be cleaning up, don't worry about it. And then the next time we were there, which was just a few months later, um, we came in and they remembered us yeah. and they said like, Oh, you know, you're the people from Mississippi. And we said, yes, they said it's because the only people that come in there typically are from the neighborhood. Right. So we're, we are an oddity in the fact that we're in there. So they remembered it. And so now I don't care if I'm only going to eat one meal in New York, that's where I'm going to go because of the people. That's a powerful message. Um, I want to I want to end with one last question and that's just kind of the bigger picture like you talk about the importance of local people and and dealing locally but like there is this piece of your business which is focused on American manufacturing too and like yeah. you know not always knowing like it may not be the person next door to you that runs the store but knowing that it's somebody you know maybe in another state whatever but like that that's a huge focus for you and I got to just tell you while while I've got you like you you sent me a, a care package a while back when I sent you some syrup and I got the the box from Laura Mercantile and it had the Made in USA sticker on the box and I was just I thought about it for I was like huh why does why is that important why why did you guys choose to focus you know it ended up kind of spiraling for me over the last 3 years of like it's something that I care deeply about now because of just a sticker that you guys put on your shipping boxes. Right. But like what, yeah, what's the importance of that to you? Why is that such a focus? Okay. When I was in high school, I lived in Reedsville, North Carolina. Yep. At the time, this was in the late nineties, early two thousands. And 
every week we were hearing about a furniture factory closing down because mm. you know, you know, five hundred employees laid off this week because, you know, the factory's going overseas. Yeah. Um, you know, three hundred employees. You know, think about it. Up there the towns were even smaller because you'd have a town of, you know, three thousand people and five hundred employees get laid off. Yeah. Well, that's right. You know, and sometimes it would be like a fifth of the population worked in this one factory, and it was, and suddenly they're, you know, the job's gone. And then that's the restaurants and the hair salons, and it, like that's everybody's oh, business. Then is that's gone. Yeah. the part. That's the part that people don't see, right? You know, they don't. You know, I'm I've got a brother that's a uh, he's a truck driver. No matter what happens. We will need truckers. Yep. Um, you know, unless, you know, in the next few decades, the electric cars become to a point where they can be self-driven and suddenly you don't need a truck driver. But, you know, he's talked about, like, he, he don't care if it's imported or not. He's going to put it on his truck and he's going to haul it because that's how he puts food on the table yeah. for his family. But when people, you know, people talk about, because we get a lot of people complaining about the prices at our store. And our prices are as low, they are as low as they can be in us, you know, our company still make a profit. Yep. We don't ever collect a profit as a company because we reinvested in our company. So the six owners of our company don't really make any money off yeah. of the company. But it's also, we all have separate jobs. You know, Aaron and I are on TV. Jim uh, is our financial advisor and Mallory works, you know, within his company. Josh is a real estate guy. He develops commercial real estate. And, you know, Emily helps him with that. And they, and they, they sort of work in the oil industry. So we all have our thing that we do. And the mercantile is our side gig. Yeah. It's been great because, you know, we're able to provide a lot of jobs here within our community because of that. But you go to a Bassett, Virginia. Okay. And at the time when we visited Bassett the first time, I was fascinated by this town because everything hinged on this factory running. And my dad was showing me, you know, because the closest thing to that that you'd have in Mississippi is a farming community where everything is built around, you know, if you go to a dairy farming town, yeah, everything supports that dairy farm. Um, you know, those, those dairy farms. And so you go to a factory, a quote unquote factory town where there's one major employer there and everything else is a support system for that, you know, machine shops are there to work on the parts that break down in the factory, yep. you know, everything from the post office to the church is connected to this factory. Sure. So you take that away, you take that major thing away, and then, you know, and at the time, I could see the danger of it, but I couldn't see, like, what would what would happen. You know, even as a high schooler, I was like, man, so what happens if that closes? Yeah. You could see the risk there. And thankfully, here in Laurel, we, you know, Laurel started as a timber town, and so you had these huge sawmills that are all gone now. There is not even really a trace of them anymore. But thankfully, people who had built the support system around that diversified their customer base and they yeah. figured out how to, you know, how to support other things. It has allowed Laurel to continue to exist. 
at one point Laurel had 60,000 people and then it started dwindling from there and it, and it trickled down and it, it bottomed out at like 17,000 people. And wow. we're up to about, we're up to about 19,000. Yeah. Luckily it never completely shut down. And so there was a hometown for us to come home to and work in. We talk to people a lot who are like, you know, I wish we could do this in my town. And you say, you know, oh, you know, tell me about your town. How big is it? What's it? You know, oh, there's just there's no jobs there. And um, there's, you know, our population is fifteen hundred. And we're about, you know, we're two hours from a Walmart. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I just, much you, can you know, do, I don't. Yeah. yeah. I don't know what the answer is there. I don't think there is one. Right. I think that, you know this is it. You know, you have, you are as, this town is as healthy as it's going to be unless some crazy outside source comes in and sees an opportunity there, but then that's going to change everything. And that's something that people don't want. They're in a small town and it dwindles to a point. It's because they don't want it to change. And that's, that is another problem is you got to have some vision there. You got to, you know, you got to have elected officials, and, you know, leaders in the community that have the vision to say, hey, what we're doing is not working. We're either going to die or we're going to have to turn this around and do something totally different. But that was the thing. So with the American manufacturing in the very beginning of all of this, for, or not in the very beginning, but once it started taking off, we had a meeting with our business partners and we said, you know, hey, Aaron and I are going to, we're going to put our foot down. We're only going to say yes to American made things. And, you know, if we're going to put our name on mercantile, it has to follow suit. And so not everything we sell is American made. I would say 99% of our products are 100% American made, you know, but even like our flannels, our fabric is imported. Um, It's American cotton that then gets woven, you know, somewhere else. And then it gets imported, you know, back into the economy. And then, our factory is in Texas. So what we look at um, is just like earlier when I was talking about who does this benefit. We love, all of us love L.L. Bean boots. Yep. My favorite thing about the boots has nothing to do with the boot. When you buy a pair of bean boots and it comes in and you open the packaging, there is a card in there that says inspected by, and then there is a handwritten name on that. Yeah. That for me is immediately it's a connection to this person in this town that they're putting food on their table because I bought this pair of shoes. That's a very powerful thing. You know, earlier I was talking about connection and the people and that's to me, that's what small town America has because you, you see yourself in that the children's hospital here in Mississippi, when Aaron and I went the first time we didn't have kids. And it was still this moving thing because you saw these people who they're, they were sitting here watching their child suffer and they're struggling with it. Well, once we had kids and we went there, it is virtually impossible to have children and go to a children's hospital and not put yourself in those shoes. Right. When you don't have kids, it's hard to do that. We've all wanted to you know, work and make a living either to support ourselves or to support our family. And the idea of losing that is, that's hard to think about. Right. So if you think like, you know, oh, if this factory goes overseas, well, then there are Americans that don't have a job. And this is not an, for us, it's not a political thing. Uh, it's not an anti 
import thing. Right. It is a people thing. It is a, you know, hey, these are our neighbors. This is our community. If you look at America as a community, you know, these are these are my name. I want to make sure that they can provide for their families and put food on the table and not turn to something else. That's what the unfortunate thing is that a lot of times you remove the economy, you remove the job, and people don't think they have a way out. Well, then they turn to other things. Right. And it's, you know, drugs or, you know, whatever else illicit things they can get their hands on. That becomes the sad reality of these communities that were once thriving and beautiful and amazing. You see them dwindle down into this just really sad, depressing place. Uh, you know, when you when you travel... You go across. I mean, you've been okay. So you're an RVer. Yeah. Right. How many times have you taken your RV to Manhattan? Uh, none. None. Although okay. there is a there is a park in Jersey City that you can take a you can take a uh, boat across a shuttle boat or whatever. So that like someday I'm gonna do that. But One day. <laughs> I have not right. yet. Right. One day. But before you do that, you're probably gonna go to the Adirondacks. You're gonna go sure. to Berkshire's. Yep. You're gonna go. You know, you're gonna go and see these towns. That reminds you of Mayberry. That, yeah, definitely. You know, have this great little diner on it in it um, because we are. No matter how hard we try to get away from it, people need connection. They, yeah. they need this tangible connection to other people, to the earth, to just to each other. They need you know relationships are important, and we need that. It's the reason. Fresh vegetables are so much better than, you know, store-bought vegetables. Right. And yeah, yeah. it's this, you know, connection that you feel and this, I don't know, uh, but that was the thing with us with American Made was, okay, if we had to, you know, I can sit you down with every product in our store and I can say, okay, just within our company, if you buy this thing, here are a list of 50 people who we can make their paycheck this week if you buy this product from us. You, you'll help us make their paycheck. Yeah. Well, that's 50 people within our community who are paying taxes, that are supporting our local schools, that are supporting our roads, and all that. Well, then I can take it a step further because of the way our company is set up, and I can you know, introduce you to our UPS driver or our FedEx driver who delivered it. I can introduce you to a truck driver like my brother who brought it from wherever it was coming from yeah. and then I can take you there and I can introduce you to 5, 10, 25, in some cases, you know, 600 people who work for a company that made this thing to then take it to their community. They take that money home and they're, they're paying taxes on it that are supporting the schools. They're eating at the local diner. You know, they're tithing in their church. They're, they're giving to the local charities. Right. that are helping the people within their community. And suddenly now you have these tangible attachments to not just our community here in Laurel, but our community at large here in America. Yeah. Whereas if you buy a product that is made overseas, okay, it goes, sure, you went to this store and you bought it, and it supported the people within that store. Okay, but then from there... Yeah, okay, it supports the UPS driver. It supports the trucker driver that hauled it. Maybe it should supports the longshoreman at the the port. Maybe you're you're helping them, but a big chunk of that money is going to go to you know a guy or a or a girl in an office in a big glass building who is just 
looking at what American, what the trends are saying in America and trying to capitalize on that and trying to, okay, how cheap can I get this made somewhere else in the country so that then I can collect as much money, as much of this community's paycheck as possible. Yeah. The thing that we've always tried to do within our community is, and within our store is, yes, we want to do American made, but also, you know, I got a brother that's a math professor. Yeah. He can't afford to buy, you know, a $200 flannel. Sure. That's made in America. That's probably what we should sell it for, but we, we, we can't. And we know that. And Emily, one of our partners, she used to be a high school teacher. My, my, one of my other brothers owns a small business here and he owns a frame shop in town. He's watching every penny that comes in because it's a small business. He's, right. He is, you know, he's where Aaron and I were 10 years ago. We wanted to be sure that, yes, we are focused on American made, but we're also focused on American workers. And we want to make sure that they can, you know, shop in this store. So. Yeah. Well, and as That's you said, really no, it, it was great. I, and I just, I just to kind of wrap it up, I get like what I heard in that that I love is just that like in other businesses, they're seeing people as a number on a spreadsheet. And because you have that personal connection to them, you know, these people's stories, you know, their family. I think there's a different obligation that you feel that it's not just how can I cut costs? How can I make more money? But it's I have to model this behavior and and help the people in my community. You know, you're, it's a different perspective. It is a different perspective, and maybe it's what maybe it's what America needs or what the world needs. It's an introspective look of you know what would happen if this was over tomorrow. You know, right, right. how am I? I've got two little girls at home and a wife. Forget, take me out of the equation. Yeah. I've got two little girls that need to eat three meals a day, that need to have a warm bed to sleep in, yeah. that need to feel loved. As a father, if I can't provide that, I don't know, you know, that that this is worth it. Like that is a scary place to be yeah. to, to put yourself in. Um, and so it's uh, that's that's the way that we've we've approached it this whole time. Is don't get me wrong, we are this the mercantile is a business. Scotsman Manufacturing is a business. Yeah, yeah. The big goal is to make money. But the question is, you know, are we being greedy? Because greed is a very powerful thing. And I think that, you know, unfortunately, it's what rules the world. And we're we're trying to make money as a company, but also not be greedy yeah. as a company. Um, because, I mean, you know, none of this works if the people who work for us aren't happy. And that's the long the super long answer of why we support American Made. <laughs> All right, Ben Napier there. What'd you think about that, huh? We covered a lot of ground, and uh, man, he is full of insights. But as I said in the beginning, I mean, he, he's lived this. He's lived it three times now in Laurel and Wetumpka, and most recently in Fort Morgan, Colorado. Go check out Hometown Takeover. Season 2 is airing now on HGTV. Of course, Hometown, the original, is still out there. I think they're in Season 7 right now. And Aaron's new book, Heirloom Rooms, Soulful Stories of Home, comes out October 3rd. So look for that where you get your books or put in a pre-order today if you'd like. Don't forget you can sign up for Willoughby Hills. Get the newsletter delivered to your inbox twice a week. 
write about all sorts of fun stuff. Sometimes it's small towns, sometimes it's dead malls, sometimes it's retail, sometimes it's home, family, life, all sorts of fun stuff. But I think you'll find it's a good time. I hope you check it out, heathrasalad.com slash newsletter, and you will get alerted to new podcast episodes as well when those come out. And again, if you want to be a paying member, you'll get the podcast before anybody else, as well as the member-only bonus posts. So that's heathrasalad.com slash newsletter. Check that out. I'm at Heath Rosella on social media. Give me a follow over there. Let's connect. Tell me what you like, what you don't like, who you want to see on the podcast next. And thank you to Ben Napier. We had a good talk today. Thank you for listening. Enjoy your day. Stay safe.